you have heard these words many, many times. You've, you've seen them on, uh, in movies, television shows, Dearly Beloved. We have come together in the presence of God to witness and bless the joining together of this man and this woman in holy matrimony. That's how, in the movies, they'll always use that line. It's the opening to the wedding service. What they don't then do is the second sentence. The bond and covenant of marriage was established by God in creation. And our Lord Jesus Christ adorned this manner of life by his presence and first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Those are the first two sentences of the wedding ceremony that has been used for over 500 years. So it was part of the, the wedding ceremony that Thomas Cranmer put together for the Book of Common Prayer, but he didn't invent it. He, we know it's at least that old, uh, but he adapted it from some older wedding ceremonies. And those two sentences, they convey a, a profound truth that comes out powerfully in the Gospel of John that we read for today. Hear the focus again. Marriage was established by God in creation. And our Lord Jesus Christ adorned this manner of life by his presence and first miracle at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. The Anglican Church of Nigeria says, instead of adorn this manner of life, he blessed this way of life. The church has been proclaiming that message millions of times, if you think about it. Millions of marriages over the 500 years. Millions of wedding ceremonies. We, we've said that across the world, that marriage was part of the design, and Jesus blessed and now blesses that way of life. It was part of design, and he blessed and now blesses this way of life. This is not a sermon about weddings or marriage. But weddings are one instance of a general truth about the work of Jesus, about the work of Jesus as he walked in Galilee and Judea, and about the work of Jesus now. And each wedding points again to that truth, to what the Gospel of John shows us about Christ. And this is the truth. Whatever we have broken as sinful human beings. And we've broken everything. Whatever we've broken, Jesus is willing to set right. It is his will to set right the broken things. And whether or not we yield to him, whether, we not, uh, whether or not we yield to that hand, he will set all things right. That's the truth that's conveyed to us in this gospel. So we are going through the gospel of John. We're in John chapter 2, the opening 12 verses. Please look with me. In John's gospel, the wedding at Cana in Galilee is an occasion to reveal that truth. And John actually helps us. He frequently helps us in his gospel to interpret moments that, that are brought to us. And he interprets for us what happened at the wedding in Cana, in verse 11. He says it was to manifest his glory. That's what this was for, to manifest his glory. 
and his disciples believed in him. John is helpful. And, and when he interprets, he always points back to the framework of the opening. He always points back to John chapter 1, the first 18 verses. And in this case, he shows an occasion. There in Cana, he shows an occasion when the word was in the world and the world was made through him. The creator of the world was, was in the world, made through him, yet the world did not know him. The word became flesh and went to weddings and dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. He said he manifested his glory on that day. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So what happened at that wedding there in Cana? That was an instance of Jesus revealing, manifesting his glory. A moment of which John could say, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. What happened there? That is an instance of him bringing the goodness of God and giving grace upon grace that cascades. Let's, let's look. First, I've officiated at many weddings. Many, many weddings, and all weddings have at least one disaster. Sometimes they're big, sometimes they're, they're small, but they're, there's always a mishap. Might be small, easily forgotten, but it just wouldn't be a wedding without a mishap. If you're soon to be married, I'm, it's going to happen. <laughs> uh, the food doesn't arrive. Or, or, or it got cold because it sat there. Or the mayonnaise was outside, the mayonnaise spoiled, and everyone gets sick. The groom faints, uh, or the bridesmaid vomits. The priest drops the ring. That was my first wedding. <laughs> it, it did happen. The couple stumbles through the vows and later asks, is it still legal? Uh, some family member starts grandstanding, becomes all about this family member. The photographer's camera breaks. None of the pictures come out. A fight breaks out between divorced parents. All these things, I have seen all of those things. It, but it's almost endless what can go wrong. That's just the way of weddings and apparently always has been. As we see, witness Cana of Galilee, the wine ran out. Oh, man. I hope this doesn't dredge up painful, uncomfortable memories for you, but have you been to a wedding where the food ran out? At the reception, there's just not, there was some kind of miscalculation. The food runs out. It's awkward. It's embarrassing. And we are not even an honor-shame culture. But we, everyone's clamming up. Everyone's tightening up, looking at your plate, feeling bad about how much you got. Uh... So whatever discomfort you may have felt at an event where there wasn't enough food, magnify that many times over for an honor and shame culture. In verse 3, when Mary comes to Jesus and says, they have no more wine, 
She's conveying a disaster. This is a huge problem. An ancient Jewish wedding typically lasted seven days. People would arrive at different times. It's a seven-day festival. It's a long, slow feast with singing, dancing, eating, singing, speeches, more eating, dancing, more eating, way too many speeches. There had to be serious planning, and you, you couldn't necessarily calculate those late arrivals and who might leave. So what probably happened here was that Jesus came home unexpectedly. Jesus is from Nazareth, three miles away from Cana. He's been away from Galilee for more than a month. He went, he went and joined John at the river. He was baptized out in the wilderness for 40 days, came back, picks up some disciples. He's been gone for a while. They don't know when he's coming back. But he's come back to Nazareth and he finds his families, those three miles away at Cana. Rumors had already reached Cana about that the carpenter from Nazareth is the one that John said is the Messiah. He was down at the Jordan. There's a big to-do. John, the Bat, who's been out there for, for weeks and weeks and weeks, said the carpenter is Christ. You're not going to believe it. And so the rumors have preceded him as he heads back home. Whatever the wedding party thought about Jesus as Christ or not, we don't know. Whatever they thought, they invite him. And they invite his disciples. And this is an unexpected addition to the party. Quite unexpected. It's also, there's no way to calculate how many of those people who were following along saying, what's he going to do next? What's he going to do? John just said he's a Christ. So a bunch of those people who were at the Jordan River are following him. Jesus brings a crowd to this wedding. And that is an unexpected addition. And that's why the wine runs out. Custom demands that you invite everyone that, that's in the town, everyone in that village. You can't not invite them. So there they are. And of course you're going to invite this one who has been declared by a legitimate prophet as the Christ. How could you not invite him? So they do. So hear what I'm saying. By the sequence of events that John's relating, he shows that the presence of Jesus, the recently announced king, creates the situation of insufficiency. It's right there. John doesn't want us to miss that. He flags it by saying Jesus was invited to this wedding. The wedding party realizes that because of the supposed king, their plans are ruined. They're, he's messing stuff up. And, and they've got to be torn about this because this brings great honor to them. If the announced king comes to your wedding, that's tremendous honor. But he's, he's going to mess it up too. They are in crisis they invited him, but they're in crisis. And it's the fact of him that creates problems.
So it's then that Mary comes and whispers, they have no more wine. I'll come back to that conversation between Jesus and Mary in a moment. You know what happens then? There are these six stone jars, like so, huge jars. Uh, they, were, they were there used to fill a bath in the house, for, John says, for the rites of purification. For immersion, people would have to do immersive washings. Called a mikvah, a big bath. Jesus orders them to be filled with water without, without doing any magic, without waving his hands, without even, he doesn't even touch the jar of wine. He says, fill the jars. Now take some of it to the master of the feast. And behold, it's excellent wine. It's, it's excellent. Good wine means it's aged and strong. It's not watered down. The custom, even the, the master of the feast tells us, the custom was uh, that you, you serve the best first when judgment is sharp, you know, when the palate is, is working and it's sharp. Because you're always wanting to, to give honor to the wedding party. So everyone who had provided wine for this, uh, and the master of the feast was responsible, we use the, the best wine first so that the judgment is sharp and it, it tastes good. Um, it's, it's sharp, strong alcohol. So then over the days, as the, the, the palate dulls and the wits are a little bit duller, then you stretch it out, you add water. So Jesus has taken a huge quantity of water and without a word, just a movement of his will, it was his desire that this water be wine. He changed the nature of a thing. Something dull, something mundane had become what the psalm says gladdens the heart. It had become something better. This is miracle. There's no way to rationalize or explain it away. It either did happen or it didn't happen. Water turned into wine. When it was done, the feast went on. Honor and joy was given to the wedding party. So in one moment, they were terrified. In one moment, they're, what do we do? Ah! And the shame of the moment's creeping over them, and the shame of the moment is beginning to spread to their intimate connections. In one moment, they're terrified, and then everything changed. Everything changed. Disruption. This is a remarkable thing. Disruption and discomfort happened because Jesus was there. He brought disruption and discomfort. Then something else, far better because Jesus was there. He brought them both. So that's what happened. But what does it mean? Now we go back to that conversation with Mary, Jesus and Mary. There's, they have no more wine. Verse 4, Jesus says, Woman, or dear woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. This is an instance of what we saw, uh, we saw last week and we saw it the week before. 
is that Jesus knows what's going on inside. You and me, we look on the outside, we, we see faces, we see postures, people trick us, they lie to us. Jesus is not deceived by any of that. Jesus sees on the inside. This is the one that we saw in Revelation with eyes like flames of fire. Same Jesus. He sees what is hidden from sight. And that means that he answers his mother. He answers Mary according to what's actually going on inside. Not just the words, not just the implications, not just the moment, but what's inside her. She wants him to prove what John the Baptist has said. It's time. I suspect, this isn't in the text, but I suspect she's heard Galilean doubters murmuring. Who does this carpenter think he is? We know they thought that in Nazareth. Uh, That happens later. Who does he think he is? He and his hangers-on, they've crashed this party. We know this guy. How could he be the Christ? What was wrong with John the Baptist? Whatever they were saying, Mary wants him to vindicate himself. We can see that. Show it. She knows him. She's lived with him. We have, how many times had the food run out? Joseph's gone. How many times? We, we don't know, but she has lived with God-made man. She has known that goodness flows from him. Restoration flows from him. She has no doubt what he can do. But his answer is a rejection of her plan. It's a rejection. My hour has not yet come. I know what you want, mom, dear woman. It's a, that's a distancing. I am not under your authority. I know what you want me to do, dear woman. But my hour has not yet come. My hour of vindication, my hour of glory. It's not time for that. But she knows him. Look in the text. She knows that whatever he does is right. Mary's a believer. Whatever he does is right. And she knows he will only do what pleases God. Only do the right thing. And perhaps countless times she's seen that uh, in their interactions, the best thing to do is yield to his judgment. She has an idea, but the best thing to do is yield. And that is the import of her words. That's what she does. Do whatever he tells you. So this is the same Mary who said to the angel Gabriel, let it be to me as you will. Let it be to me according to your word. Do whatever he tells you. He's going to do what's right. Let him decide. He knows the problem. And what he did was manifest his glory to his new disciples. To that inner circle. We know that he's called uh, Andrew and Peter, Philip and Nathaniel, very likely John. John was there walking along. 
So it's not to the crowds. It's not to the wedding party. It's not to Galilee. Not to the guests. This sign was for the disciples. But the blessing was for everyone. Glory for one group. Blessing and goodness that spreads. And this... That's the truth that John was inspired by the Holy Spirit to tell us. Jesus showed it to his disciples. Jesus showed this truth to his disciples. John shows it to us. Again, it's cascading. The creator God, made flesh, comes to people. He comes to simple people. He comes to simple people going about the things of the world. And with his presence, he makes new what was broken. He makes new things that are broken. I mean, let's pull back a second. The fact that wine was running out, the fact that food runs out, is not really a catastrophe. It really isn't. We make it so. But it's not really a a catastrophe. It's human pride that makes it so. Honor and shame are the results of fallenness. Honor and shame are the results of sinful natures. So uh, even on occasions of celebration and joy, even on these, these wonderful occasions, sin ruins things. Our pride getting in there, it messes it up. It ruins things. At that wedding... Sin was there all along. In every person that was participating in that wedding, it was there. Jesus being there revealed it. Jesus the light. He arrived at the party and pretty soon the sin was revealed. That's what happens. Wounded pride and shame shows up. Fear and resentment show up. Bitterness shows up. Because the light shines in the darkness. When Jesus comes and he brings the light of holiness and truth, it lights the place up and sin is apparent. It's just there, exposed. That's the truth John's conveying here. But this Christ Jesus, this King Jesus, brings the goodness of God to that. Exposing sin, but bringing goodness. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. So instead of condemning their sin, Jesus has all authority there to condemn what's happening. We're going to see very shortly, he's going to flip over tables in the holiest place. He's going to flip tables in the temple. Jesus is willing to flip tables and tell you straight up, you have desecrated something holy. They had desecrated something holy at that wedding. Shame, being present at a wedding. Pride, coloring the wedding. Human sin was desecrating a holy thing. He could have flipped the tables. He doesn't do that. Instead of condemning their sin, he gives them back a festival. He gives them back a feast. He turns water into wine. 
He blesses the marriage. He honors the wedding party. And that's what our wedding liturgy communicates. It was created good in the design. And he makes it good again. His presence restores the very idea of marriage, which we continuously wreck. He restores it. And note this too. The blessing and the restoration happen because he was invited. And that's key. Whatever uncertainties the wedding party may have had about him, they invited him. They might have thought about him as the carpenter, but they invited him. Knowing, that, knowing he had been announced as the king. So this is a truth you can bank on. We conclude here. This is a truth you can bank on. If you invite the king of the universe into your life, and that in, including marriage relationships, including sibling relationships, parent-child relationships, if you invite the king of the universe into your life, then what happened in Cana will happen in you. Jesus comes humble, without fanfare. There was no band accompanying him coming. He comes humble, but he comes as the king nonetheless. If you invite Jesus in, he comes humbly, but he comes as the king. And a king rules. And if you invite him truly, he will disrupt your plans. He will. It's just the truth. He will disrupt your plans. His light will expose your sin. You'll be conscious of your sin. You'll be conscious of the ways that you offend against a holy God. You'll become conscious of the way that... Uh, you, you try to twist the world to be focused on you. That your relationships would be focused on you. And his holiness will make you uncomfortable. Your wine will run out. That is, whatever it is that you have banked on for festival... Whatever you've banked on that you lean on for pleasure, it will run out. It will be proven insufficient. But you've invited him. You've invited him. That's good. Because in the disruption that he, he brings, in that disruption, he's there. He's still there. And this is the God of grace and mercy, whose character is always to have mercy. And he's there. If you've invited him, he's there. Your wine runs out, but he's there. And if you let Mary's words become yours, let it be as you say. Let it be as you determine. I'll do whatever you say. Then he will change your mind and your heart. He'll change things. He'll change your life. Where there were empty jars, there will become the best wine. Where your wine ran out, 
He will bring you the good wine. That is, there will be unexpected goodness. You banked on this, you counted on this, he will give you something different, better. Not the goodness you planned, something better. So what we see in this gospel is that God has a willingness to restore and heal. That is his plan. It's his plan from creation through redemption. And the hour that he was waiting for, it eventually came. The manifesting of his glory. He was crucified, died, buried, and then he rose victorious. Vindication, glory. And because of that vindication, he sent his Holy Spirit into the world. God's Spirit into the world. So whereas when Jesus was walking, restoration came only where he was. When he touched the blind person's eyes or he set this captive free from demonic possession. Restoration happened where he was and only there. Only there. But now his spirit brings that same holy presence throughout the world here, including here, this space, this weird gym, spirit of God, here. He must be invited. If you wish for that change, that restoration and renewal, he must be invited. He must be welcomed. He's willing to transform any and every part of your life. He's willing. From the most mundane to the most celebratory, the most insignificant to the, the thing that looms largest in your thoughts. But he won't do it on your terms. He's always the king. He's always the king. He's the gentle king. He comes humbly. But he always rules. So let's approach him. Lord, you are the Lord. And we have, each one of us has demanded that you do things according to our time and our plans. Our, our vessels have run out. Our wine has become empty. And we have demanded that you fill it with the same stuff. We've demanded that you fill it with what we want. Lord, have mercy on us. Do as pleases you. You're the good God. You know what true festival is like for us. You know what, it, what is for our good. So, on behalf of anyone who agrees with this prayer, I say, come Lord Jesus. We invite you. Do your work. Fill us with life and light and truth and restore us. And let it be according to your will. In Jesus' name.